Hi, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy and host of the Live Healthy podcast. Today, I speak to Aziza Sabeti, the fastest woman in Lebanon who holds a number of sprinting records. Aziza talks about facing adversity, life in a broken down country, and finding the mental strength necessary to overcome an injury that lasted for four years. She also tells us about what she's going to do next. Okay, so I don't even know where to start with you, Aziza. <laughs> there are so many things to ask you. Um, you're you're in the U.S. right now. Wait, yeah. What are you doing there? So basically, I'm just visiting my mom because uh, my mom's been living here for like over 20 years now. So uh, ever since um, I was a kid, like I'm I'm between my mom and my dad. So. <laughs> Uh, I visit my mom sometimes, and I'm based in Lebanon because my dad's Lebanese most of the time. So yeah. And are you training while you're there? Or are you taking a break? Um, I'm I'm actually training, but it's preseason right now, so it's kind of like you know, um, you know, the downtime of training. So yeah, yeah. Okay, I have so many questions for you, so I'm just gonna start. How did you start running? Like, how did you know you were fat? Did you know you were fast? Did you know you loved to run? Like, how did it get started? Um, well, first of all, I think I wouldn't have known anything about it had I not um, had someone to actually, you know, tell me. It's always like talent spotting, if we may say. But um, I moved from Liberia to Lebanon when I was around 10 or 11 years old. And uh, I moved to a school in Lebanon. And it was like one of, it is like one of the best schools in Lebanon where they have like, you know, athletic programs and all of that. So there was this one day where we had uh, tryouts for a lot of different sports and one of them was track and field. And um, basically I, I won during the tryouts and I won by far. So um, the, the athletic director was like, this girl has something. And um, even though we didn't have a track and field team at the school, he would make it a point that um, he'd get, you know, like the football coach to come and train me from time to time and stuff like that so that they could encourage me to, to you know, practice track and field, even though I was more of a team sports player. So I'm like, nah, I just want to play basketball, please, because I was like on the basketball team. And so whenever there was a race, I would just like run and win. But it wasn't until my last year of school where, where um, my stepmom actually, because the, the athletic director called her, she was like, as you say, you have to take this, you know, like, um, see what this is about. Go see the coach that um, the athletic director is talking to you about and stuff like that. And it was my last year of school that I actually, you know, started practicing track and field. So how old were you then? I was, um, I was 16 turning 17. So it was like summer of 17. So it was almost like you were a reluctant. It was almost yeah. like, like you yeah. did everything to not do this. You yeah, to. it was kind of like, so I would enjoy doing it because like our school had like a lot of branches around, um, around the Middle East and stuff like that. So we traveled to Dubai, to Sharjah, to Jordan, Syria, 
Egypt, we had a lot of trips every year and every, it's called the regional tournament. And every year, so for like six years, I would win the regional tournament, you know? And, um, and it was like with very minimal track and field training. But I don't know why I always felt like it was kind of like a lonely sport. Because like when, I, when I'm playing basketball, all the stress and all the nerves were, were always like shared within the team. So it was fun. But um, I think for track and field, it was like a lot. I, I was one of those people uh, that, that were like that would get really nervous before a race. So my first race that I actually did abroad, which was during the regional tournament, I actually tripped at the start of the race, like, and it was like cement. It wasn't like a track, like a track track. And um, uh, they actually repeated the race because like it wasn't fair because the ground was really slippery. And I won with like bloodied arms and legs and stuff like that. But um, so I always felt like it was like too, I don't want to say scary, but it was like not something where, where I felt comfortable just doing, doing by my own or, or on my own. Um, so it wasn't until later where I was like, okay, so I have a talent. I might as well see what this is about, what, where it can take me, what I can do with it. And I was in a team that was just about track and field. So I'm like, okay, so it doesn't have to be so lonely. Cause in school it wasn't like, it was just me and stuff like that. So it wasn't like a bunch of people or a huge team, you know? So, yeah. So once you decided to do it, you realized you would have a, a support system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess yeah. you also had to learn how to be your own teammate a little bit. like. Indeed. Yes, it's huge. I think like now that I'm older, I realize how important uh, track and field was in molding the person that I am today, you know. So from teaching me to be confident, from teaching me to be independent, from teaching me to be self-disciplined, you know. So it's takes a whole lot of effort it's not something like oh okay so she has a talent she can just you know go out there and get it done it takes so much work and it's not just the physical work it's the mental work and that's something that really I struggled with for the longest time I mean like when you're struggling with injuries when you're struggling with setbacks and and stuff like that it's like you have to tap into your you know, your strength and your power and all of that stuff in order to bring out the best in you. And I feel like track and field kind of like parallels life in a certain way where when we're facing whatever troubles in life, you have to like look deep inside for all that strength and all that power and all that self-discipline and stuff like that. So I really feel like I, I was blessed and lucky to be, you know, in sports in general because it really does change a person. Yeah, and you had to learn how to do that. And from, so you have had a lot of injuries, like, and I read between 2010 and 2014, you had, you couldn't advance on your time, like for four years. Yeah. You were basically yeah. hitting a wall because you had a hamstring syndrome. Like, yeah. How, like, how on earth do you keep going? Because everyone, when you're having a hard time, I mean, yeah. I know I personally, when I'm having a hard time, I'm like, okay, yeah. you may feel terrible today, but you are better than you were like two weeks. You know, like you were facing, you couldn't, how did you get through that time? You know, it's very weird because actually, you know, those Facebook reminder stuff like 10 years ago, 12 years ago or whatever. I had this reminder, um, I think it was eight years ago. That was yesterday. And it was a paragraph I had written on Facebook talking about, it was like, I think 2014. And it was me saying that I'm finally happy to be running pain-free. I'm finally, you know, I'm like, I'm grateful and I'm happy and I, and I, and I miss doing this. I miss competing. I miss, you know, putting myself out there. 
and it was such a deep and profound paragraph for me because I, I remember it you like I was young, you know, and to be young and struggling with so much pain and and not being able to improve after being, you know, at the top for so long. And then all of a sudden hitting a wall, as you said, and like not being able to win or beat people that you used to beat so easily or like, you know, um, you have a certain target in your mind where you go like, okay, so I got to this point and I know I can get higher the next year and then higher and then higher. But it was like, I was, I was just lower than my, my average standard. So, um, and as you're saying, like the pain, the pain was so intense in a very weird way where it was not a tear. So my hamstring was not torn. My hamstring just had like little, like micro tears as as they'd say, but it just, it's such a weird type of syndrome where it kind of like almost paralyzes you in a certain way and it's mental and physical because like I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand at certain points. And it, it's because it was the pain was hitting the sciatic nerve. So it wasn't just purely muscular. But anyway, I had to learn to work around it. So and it's because I loved it so much. I got to a point where I'm like, after like, you know, um, so I told you I started when I was like around 16, 17. So my first official year of running was 2009. That's when everything was working, working nicely, coming together nicely and stuff like that. And 2010 was an amazing year where I went to the Air Junior Championship, the World Junior Championship. Um, my results were all, you know, looking nice and stuff like that. So, so the feelings of being able to represent my country and doing something that I'm really good at and something that I, I, I became so passionate about and I realized how much I loved and then all of a sudden losing that, I'm like, but I do want this feeling back. I do want to be able to do that again. So I think that was uh, the thing that kind of like pushed me and, and motivated me to feel like I know I can do so much better and I know that my journey um, is so much better. And I feel like sometimes those are, those are like signs from the universe or from God or like, you know, from stuff around us. And it was like a gut feeling where I knew I could do so much better than where I am right now. And that's what was pushing me and, you know, um, during really dark times. There's a lot of people in pain. Um, yeah world right like not athletes yeah. a lot of people live with chronic pain these days what did you learn about pain when you were living with it for so long like did you have any um, that you could share? yeah I feel like no one can improve or grow without pain I feel like that that was the most important lesson because when you're stable for so long you're kind of like on autopilot because like there's nothing new to learn about yourself and about how strong you are you know, like they they always say, like they, you you don't know how strong you are until you have to be, right? So when when like being strong is the only thing you you can be. So I feel like pain is such an important part of life because we 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 think as humans that life should should be easy and nice and all of that, but in fact, like pain is something that we kind of need in order to grow. And yeah. it's, and it was like it's a it's a funny thing that I actually. Um, read in a book where where we where the the writer was saying or the author was saying something about like life is difficult anyway like we don't know why people say like life should be easy but in fact the thing about life is life is difficult and once we know that as a given truth then we'd accept it and just move forward yeah <laughs> oh, I like that I like that um okay so you were last I heard you were competing for a spot at the Olympics which didn't happen yeah. and you just yeah. walked through what the opportunity was and then what happened 
Okay, so um, for Lebanon, um, we, till this point in time, we don't really have automatic qualifiers who qualify according to the standard that the Olympic Committee set, right? Um, so what they do is, like, we have uh, universality, universality places, so it's only, it used to be up until this year, it was a spot for a guy and a girl, so one guy and one girl, but this year it was one person, male or female, like, it doesn't matter. Um, so uh, it was a, it was a real struggle because uh, I feel like everyone has been improving so much. And even though I ran my fastest times, like on the 100, on the 200, I broke so many records. I got, you know, medals at the Arab Championship and all, all of that. It still wasn't enough. And um, which is a good thing. Like I, I, I knew at the end of the day, like the person who performs the best is going to be the person who goes, right? Um, and, and I always think that I'm not just doing this for me. So as long as I'm improving, I feel like Lebanon is going to be improving. And my goal for the past few years has always been like, why do we always think about, you know, automatically uh, taking the card, the wild card and going to the Olympics? Like, why are we not, you know, qualifying and um, making a, a point to qualify and stuff like that? And so um, I feel like even though it was so hard for me uh, to pass through that time where I knew like, okay, so I'm not going and it's not going to be me and stuff like that. But it didn't take too long for me to kind of accept it because as I'm saying, like the best is going <clears> to, <throat> is going to go and compete. So um, it was just, it was just like knowing that I performed so well, kind of like gave me hope that this is not the end of my road. You know, this is not going to define who I am as a person. What's going to define me is how hard I choose to work in life, how much of a good person I am, how I treat people around me, if I'm actually, you know, having an impact or leaving a footprint in the world and what my legacy is going to be all about, what I do every day to day, you know. So, um, yeah, I think that's what, that's that's the take, you know, the take out from, from this Olympic journey that didn't happen. <laughs> but, yeah. Was that your dream? Like, were you aiming for the Olympics? Would you still like to go? Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like it's every athlete's dream. You know what I mean? It's every athlete's dream. At the end of the day, um, we work so hard not just to, to, like, you know, win medals or whatever. It's it's always been, like, the Olympics. But I feel like it's very important for us as athletes to talk about not making it as well, you know, because in life, I know everyone has so many goals that they're looking forward to, but failure does not define who we are. You know, it's like how we work with failing, how it, like the person we're going to be after failing. And if we decide to like move on to bigger goals, you know, or different goals and um, all of that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a whole process and it's not an easy one, obviously, but yeah, it's stuff that you learn every day. Yeah. So will you keep competing then? Like what are your, what are yeah. your, yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, this year, as I was telling you, like it was one of my best track and field years. And, um, basically I broke so many records, like from the 200 meter indoor record to the hundred twice, 
the 100 meter uh, record twice, and it was my best time on the 200 meters. So it wasn't a record, but it was like really close to the Lebanese national record on the 200 meters. I got um, three medals at the Arab Championship. So actually, there were two. So it was like one um, third place medal in the 100 meters and one third place medal in the relay four by 100 meters. I mean, four by four. But uh, we got um, a, a, a letter from the Arab committee, the Arab track and field committee saying that one of the athletes who got first place was actually banned from running because she was doping. And um, which, which is something that we struggle with as athletes as well, because, you know, our sport is supposed to be a clean sport. So, um, so basically what came out of it was I got second place in the 100 meters and third place in the four at uh, the 200 meters. Um, and again, like, this is another lesson that we learn in life. Like, people try to take shortcuts. They try to take the easy way. And even though it may be for athletes, it's not, they still have to train, so it's not, like, you know, easy. But they're trying to, like, take spots for other people who are working honestly and, and um, you know, clean and stuff like that. And it was frustrating because you can see how a person changes on the outside as well when they're doping. And I was looking at that girl thinking, like, Why? And I hope, I hope that, you know, the committee actually do something about this and, you know, find whatever traces that they're supposed to find. And it wasn't until like two weeks ago, actually, that she was caught. And the Arab Championship was all the way in June. Um, she, yeah, and she couldn't even go to the Olympics. So she was one, she was, she broke the Arab record and all of that stuff. So I'm just saying like, cheating and shortcuts are not the way in track and field as is in life, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I feel like I still have, you know, to answer your question, I know I'm, I'm going all over the place, but yeah, I feel like I still have a lot to give and I still have a lot of targets that I, I really hope to get to. And at this point in time, I'm trying to um, go one step at a time. So I'm no longer, you know, putting a huge goal in front of my face and just like zoning in on that. Um, Cause I, I tried that technique if you want. And um, I'd rather just go step by step and see where I'm heading to. Um, with, of course, I have goals in mind, like, but it's going to be, you know, smaller chunks at a time. Um, so we'll see how that goes. So especially living in Lebanon, you can't really plan too far uh, ahead. That's what I was going to ask you because I know athletes, I've interviewed athletes over the years and yeah. You know, I'm from Canada. It's always mm -hmm. financially a challenge when you're mm -hmm. an athlete. But then when I think when you're living in Lebanon, what what is it like? You you know, yeah, what is it like? How do you how do you survive? How do you make it I mean, it's crazy. I feel like this is the worst time that our country has ever been through. I think even more than what our parents and grandparents used to talk about, like when they had wars, you know this time it's even worse because I feel like um, our, the whole country is just paralyzed and it's not just our economic or financial situation, it's about the humanitarian side of it as well. So it, it puts pressure on uh, personally, just me as an athlete, because I feel like I have the opportunity, I'm lucky to have the opportunity, you know, to be able to train full time and um, have so much support, you know, uh, put into 
me and my journey and stuff like that from the gym where I work out, you know, performance first, providing everything for me, the physical therapist and all of that. So it's, I'm not struggling. I'm one of those people who are not struggling, you know. But then you look around you and now it's become so much more than just you having money and being able to buy your stuff if you don't, you know, it, things are not available anymore. So even if you do have money, you're not going to find your medication. If you're a cancer um, you know, you're going through cancer or you're going through whatever other medical problems, you're not going to find fuel to take you from point A to point B. And if there's an emergency in the middle of the night, like who's going to drive, you know, it, it's just so bad. And then people are just being so degraded, like waiting in line to get fuel for hours upon hours. And then maybe you get to the gas station and be like, sorry, we ran out of fuel after you, you've been waiting for so long. And it's just so bad. I feel like we do not live in a country anymore. And knowing how um, educated, how cultured, and how, you know, like, intelligent Lebanese people are, the government that we have does not in any way represent us or our generation at all. Because I think you already know, like, Lebanese people always talk about how we're fluent in three languages, and, like, everyone's so out there and so... So it's just sad. Like I don't think we, I personally, it's it hasn't, I ha I haven't been able to digest it yet, and I and I've been in the U.S. for three weeks, and every week or every day it's something different. Every day it gets harder. So I don't know. Like by the time I get back to Lebanon next week, how it's gonna be and how I'm gonna you know deal with how things are going. So that's why I'm saying like I can't really plan too far ahead. For this is one of the main reasons because you really don't know what's going to happen next. And you came to Lebanon from Liberia. Yeah. Your family was leaving war there. Is that right? When you were how old? Yeah. So um, basically, both countries that I'm from yeah. are just like war torn places. But yeah, so I was like around 10 years old when the second war that I went through happened. So I, I've been through a lot of wars, like even in Lebanon in 2006, I was there when the when that war w was taking place. And I feel like um, it's just, it's sad because I get to see how it's like for people to live, let's say, in the U.S. and stuff like that. And it's like a whole different life. Like you only have to worry about yourself and your family and providing, you know, food on the table, getting your stuff done, getting your paycheck at the end of the month. And, you know, you, uh, people have a have a choice to, to think about, you know, taking care of, let's say, their pets and their, you know, like a, a huge problem would be like, oh, my dog is so sick, I need to take him to the hospital and pay so-and-so, you know. In Lebanon right now, if you're talking about that, you it's like, you know, we, I'm not saying that people don't care. People really do care and all of that. But when you're struggling so much with your own survival and not just like, you know, making a living and stuff like that, it kind of becomes irrelevant to to think about other life struggles, you know? So it's not like, oh, so where am I going to spend my vacation? I haven't been on vacation for so long. Like, it's not something that we're going to be able to think about too much at this point. And, you know, like... Uh, again, like people's salaries being in the Lebanese lira, which lost its value almost completely, is just so sad. So even for a doctor who used to be paid like let's say five thousand to two thousand dollars or whatever, like having a fifty or a hundred dollar salary is not going to take them anywhere, you know. 
So we're losing our minds, like like people who are smart, you know, the, the smart people are all leaving, are all, are all trying to build a future out of the country. So it's just so crazy. Yeah, so coming from Liberia, from, you know, a war-torn country, and then coming to Lebanon, it's just a a torn country. It's, it, it's, it's weird, yeah. It's weird. You hear a lot, a lot these days about trauma. People are really throwing around the word trauma. Yeah. And- adverse childhood experiences, but you had all of that in multiple locations and your parents managed to keep you safe. But have you done work? Have you had therapy? Have you done any work with um, the trauma you've been through? Uh, not really, but I was just, I was just actually doing my research like all week now trying to find <laughs> like the right therapist. And um, I feel like it's also about a person being ready to like, deal with all of that and not just ready but actually realizing that it's a very vital part of life to you know deal with situations maybe i feel like um i've dealt pretty well with everything that i've been through from my parents not being together from me being separated from my mom for so long from um from you know the 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 countries that i that that i'm from the 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 events that i had to go through and and be put through and stuff like that but at the same time um, even though I feel like I'm a totally regular, normal human being who's like trying to make it out there in life, and you know, um, I'm pretty sure that somewhere along the lines, I, I need to try to see how it really does affect me, because you know, I feel like when you're trying to be in a relationship, not just with yourself, but with other people and build a long-term relationship and then later think about, you know, having kids and stuff like that. It's very important to work on all your issues. And that's something that I'm trying to really take seriously right now. Because if I want to have healthy relationship, a healthy relationship with myself or with my partner, and then later on down the road with my kids, I really do want to, you know, uh, kind of like break myself apart and then put myself together again. Um, because it's it's not I feel like people take it for granted, you know, like, okay, yeah, we just wanna have a relationship and just do this and that. But at the end of the day we're having a relationship with another human being and I really wanna be a source of positivity and a and a source of, you know, support and stuff like that. So I really do wanna deal with everything, uh, in a proper way. So yeah, I I am looking for a therapist. <laughs> That's really thoughtful of you because a lot of people don't think about that. And I mean I'm there's people who their parents got divorced and they'll go on and on about how much it screwed up their life. So it's, <laughs> you're, I, know, you're it's so I know like it, it, I keep talking about this. I'm like, I wonder this, like, did it affect me in a certain way? I, I don't know. Cause I don't feel the need to be like, Oh, why did you do this? Or why did this happen to me? I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I do not victimize myself. No. You know, no. I do not. I don't like putting myself in that position because I feel like that would be me putting everything out of my hands when I feel like if if you give away your power, then you have no power to actually deal with life. So I'd rather say like, okay, so how can I fix this myself, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I want to talk to you after you've done a little bit of that work. <laughs> I think, well, I've done it myself and I've realized yeah. I'm a lot older than you are, but I've realized there's things you don't even realize. Like there's ways yeah. you deal with things that you don't even realize. Like you yeah. do all sorts of things. So I, yeah. maybe we'll do another podcast. When you listen to <laughs> <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Um, so I'm curious about a couple of like sort of just random things. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm curious about being an athlete from this region and from a sort of a lesser, a country that's struggling so much. When you go yeah. for international events, like what is, yeah. what's it like? Like, is there a huge difference between the West and um, athletes from, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I get you. The thing is that um, the only difference would be the support that we get from our federations or from our government. But um, again, I was lucky enough to be in clubs that really do support me in every single way possible. So it's not like we have our physical therapists, our nutritionists, our, you know, um, our track, our equipment, our facilities. So all of that is available to us, you know. So it's not like, oh, my gosh, they have something and we don't like everything is available to us. And plus, like, I've been to a lot of training camps. I was sent to a lot of training camps, you know, by the clubs that I that I um, run for, whether it was Jamhood earlier or now uh, Antonine. So um, it, everything is available. But the missing puzzle piece is the support that um, these countries get from their governments, you know, or from huge sponsors. Like, I do not have – my only sponsors are basically my club, you know, so it's not like somebody else is sponsoring me and stuff like that, or like bigger companies and stuff like that. So we don't have that opportunity over here. And we do not have as much um, um, a popularity, you know, because we don't have a sports culture. And as I'm saying, it goes back to the same thing. Like I'm in a country that's so worried about, you know, day-to-day life, like making it to the next day. And even though it wasn't like that, let's say, five years ago, but it was still healing from, you know, traumas that had happened before. So um, it's really hard to build a sports culture in a country that's still trying to deal with human rights, that's still trying to deal with, uh, you know, humanitarian issues and and stuff like that. So um, that's why I don't feel like, oh, like, why are we like that? Why don't we have help? Because I'm logical enough to think, okay, well, I understand why, you know what I mean? Um, and, and hopefully down the line, I always talk about this. I, I hope to be, um, like, this is one of my goals, you know, to, to be part of the group of people who are going to help improve this part, um, of society. So for example, I know how important it is for people to get an education, but why, why not make it kind of like the West where if you're really good at a sport, you get a full scholarship to a university or college or even school, you know? So um, it helps with continuing education and also building a group of people uh, or a society or a community of people who are actually going to excel not only at school but in sports as well. And then that's automatically going to improve your country, you know. So, um, yeah. (laughs) When you finish, whenever you finish competing. Yeah. Would you like to keep working in sport? Like you'd like to keep? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I, I'm just about to start my master's, online master's degree um, uh, with a, a sports university in, in Germany. It's one of the best sports universities, and it's going to be um, purely sports-related. So um, I feel like I would love to have, you know, uh, to kind of, like, leverage my sports expertise at the moment, like, with all my experience just as an athlete and kind of, like, leverage that to the organizational level, you know what I mean? So um, whatever experience I have later, maybe working abroad, maybe here in the U.S. or in Europe or whatever, I really want to do that and then be able to, you know, get that, um, all that I learned and kind of like applying it 
in the Middle East and in Lebanon in particular. So, um, yeah, I do see myself doing that in the future. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, one last question. You did yeah. this. You did you work, broke you did the two hundred meters in twenty three point nine seconds. Is that your most recent? Uh, it, it was twenty three point seventy seven actually. Seventy seven. It's very important. Yeah. Well, yeah. What does it feel like when you're moving that fast? What do you What did you think? Okay. Um. So basically, I I used to hate the two hundred so much because I I thought that. I had enough time to think and it wasn't something that I wanted to do because when you're thinking then you can actually think about like oh my gosh this hurts so much you know what I mean um so basically it's different from running a longer distance where, where people are like jogging and then they have those people really do work on their mental capacity of like they have to like run through the pain sprints are so much shorter so much faster and you're kind of like um going past your you know your 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 strength and your power you're just using so much power and so much speed in the 100 meters for example i barely have time to think sometimes i'm done with the race and i'm like what just happened you know and the 200 meters the the i i learned to love it because i'm like okay i actually have time to like you know push myself at this point and like go like okay Aziza, you need to do this and and athletes have this tendency to talk to themselves and it it, it kind of like comes with you know, you being your your own cheerleader or your, you being your own coach and stuff like that. So um, the 200, running 2377, I knew it was fast, like coming out of the blocks and, and running around the curve and, and just like floating and flying. It's such a, it's such a beautiful feeling where you're just like, you're, you're, you're kind of disconnected from the world. So, and sometimes like I do not hear anything around me. The world goes completely completely quiet. If you're screaming your lungs out, I probably would not even hear you because it's a feeling where you're kind of like flowing with the universe. It's such a surreal feeling where you're so like you're on another planet. You're just like, you know, running your own thing, talking to yourself. So the only voice I, I could hear is probably my own voice saying, you can do this. Just go faster. Just keep going. You know, keep your knees up, use your arms. So, um, and and I feel like that's where the adrenaline comes in, and that's where it, it's the it's the runner's high, you know. That's where you feel like I just want more of this. I want to feel this again, you know. So it's kind of like in a meditative state, and um, so that's how it kind of felt running the twenty three seventy seven. And it was and the Lebanese record is actually twenty three fifty six. So I was like just like it's like zero point something away and and it, it sounds like nothing but it takes a whole lot of hard work but knowing that it was like a, a um I was like so close to it I'm like okay I can do this you know what I mean so um that's that's why I feel like I, I need to run an, another year or two or three I don't know but I'm just taking it one step at a time because I feel like I have so much to give you know <laughs> We'll be watching you, and I hope to talk to you Thank again. You. All the best. Thank you so much. <laughs>